Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, listeners, I wish you were sitting in the room with us because you would see Christy in all her gardening glory right now. When I look at you, Christy, you're a picture of your summer garden. Christy is bright red in her face and her (laughs) shoulders and her collarbone. Her hair is sort of stuck sweetly to her head from her (laughs) summer sweat. (laughs) She has been out in the garden all day with, wait for it, like, a garden coach, a garden planner, a garden whisperer. Like I always think of Christy as the garden whisperer, but she had like a more experienced whisperer in the garden <laughs> with her today. It's so fun. Like this is summer Christy. That's right. That's right. So when Lisa Joe says Christy in her gardening glory, what she means is <laughs> I am a sweaty, dirty, <laughs> stinking mess, but that's okay because I spent the day in the garden here at Maplehurst with um, a friend of mine, Julie Whitmer, who is, I mean, okay, I, I was going to say she's a real gardener, but that's that's silly. We're all, you know, if you have a pot of herbs, you are a real gardener, but she's a real trained gardener and a garden designer, and she has, um, we've always talked about her coming to spend some time at Maplehurst, so she is here to help me think through some um, you know, next stages in the gardening here. So yeah, we've been out all day in the sun with um, bamboo stakes and um, clothesline, which we're like laying out on the grass to mark paths and yeah, just having the time of our lives. <laughs> so I am not looking my best. <laughs> well, I kind of love it. It's such a metaphor because I think we tend to have idyllic notions in our head about gardening, about summer, about what it means to plan something new or to dream something new, that somehow it's this, I think the problem is we we expect or we, we maybe falsely assume the process mm-hmm. is like how the Instagram photo looks like at the end. But we forget it's nothing like that. Life is never like that. Even the greatest days that are such beautiful memories, they have mosquitoes that bite you and bees that sting you and uh, poison ivy that creeps around sometimes and a kid who hates the beautiful picnic that you packed and (laughs) somebody throws up in the car ride. I mean, these are the things of summer. And the problem is that what only makes it into the public real is this picturesque moment. And there's I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that because that is how those days are. There are these picturesque, incredible Mm -hmm. moments that Mm -hmm. are so dripping in beauty, but you get to them through dripping in sweat. And I love that today that is the accurate picture that is sitting across from me. It's true. And it is so hot and sticky here today, Lisa Joe. I'm sure it is at your home as well. Like we are definitely in that 
height of summer, summer, where it's just as hot and sticky as it's going to get. And maybe we'll have a lot more of this weather, but we're at the point where I start to think, okay, maybe these 90 degree plus days are numbered. But for right now, we are in the middle of it and there is nothing for it but just to go out and sweat. So I've been thinking about our conversation today. And I remember there was a previous episode where I talked about my sort of ironic Christie version of a summer beach read, which I claimed was like a cozy mystery novel. Uh, maybe a murder even one mystery. Set in Let's like, just be clear. A murder. Like, that's what you thought a was mur- a cozy... Su- <laughs> like, it's not just a cozy mystery. No, a murder. Somebody dies. No, this a murder. is what Christie right. thinks of as like, light summer fair. Yes, moving on. You're right. <laughs> but, you know, understanding that that might not appeal to all of our listeners looking for their next summer read, I realized that there is actually another kind of book I reach for this time of year when I want that sitting by the side of the pool, sitting at the beach, or just frankly, you know, which is more often just sweating on my own front porch. Um, And that is a book about a house, a book about someone's house. I love books about houses. And um, I love books about like houses that have been in families or houses that have a history or houses that become a character in the book. So I wanted to bring one to the conversation today, to the table today, because not only is it my favorite thing, a book about a house, but even better for right now, it's a book about a summer house. A family summer house. And I don't, by summer house, I don't mean um, uh, gazebo in the backyard. You know how those are sometimes called summer houses? I don't know if you've heard that before. Like a little garden house might sometimes be called a summer house. By summer house, I mean vacation house, like a house at the beach. Summer house. So the book is called The Big House. And it is by a wonderful writer, George Howe Colt. How ho, I'm not sure how you say it, H-O-W-E, George Colt. And um, his his book is a memoir based on his experience um, as a member of a of a sort of upper class Boston Brahmin family who had in their family shared a rambling old um, Victorian Cape Cod beachside summer house where generations of the family for a century would go to um, escape the city in the summer. But because George Colt is who he is, he's a poet, he's an observer, um, he's curious and sensitive. The book that he's written is very special um, and was actually, it was a bestseller when it came out and it was actually, um, it was a National Book Award finalist. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful, interesting book. But I think it's so perfect for right now because it just, it just celebrates the whole idea of of getting away in summer and just embracing the outdoors and embracing the sweat and, you know, being a mess and, and you know, uh, flip-flops full of sand and, and all of that. But it's done in a way, I'll just say it, a Christy way, <laughs> where there's also history and beautiful language and nostalgia, but then also thinking about nostalgia and about the necessity of change and and places that gather families. Oh my gosh, it's just got all the all the 
Like I, I picture all the ingredients that I love dropped into a pot and given a wonderful <laughs> stir, and I just want to gobble it up all summer long. So this is like one of my ideal summer reads. So tell me, Lisa Jarrow, I'm I'm guessing books about houses haven't been top of your list. Am I right? <laughs> is that even a category for you as it is for me? I. I, I don't even know how you define that, I guess, maybe because the house is a central character or it's a metaphor or something. I remember in college actually vividly, and it's a short story, and I wanted to Google as we were talking who wrote it because I can't remember, but we read a short story where the house is the, the only character. Mm-hmm. And when this person, when you're inside this house, you see this ripped wallpaper and these broken windows and clearly violence has happened and been done to the house. And the house is a metaphor for the woman who was abused living in the house. So that's not very uplifting, <laughs> but that's been my experience with houses. But but in my own life, though, I do think of houses as characters in as much as they set the scene for me they help me know what country I'm in, what family I'm with. So my American family, you know, in the Midwest have a very Midwest home built of brick, but also siding, you know, is a big thing there. And there might be a big porch on it. And, you know, the sort of gables and the little windows up at the top that has this feel of Americana that I've seen in a hundred movies growing up. But in South Africa, my father's house has a thatched roof and tiles everywhere and hardly any carpet because it's designed for cool. And then in Maryland, where we live now, there's really the houses are mostly built, it seems like out of wood, and then they have siding on them. And they don't typically, you don't typically see sort of second floor homes a lot. There's a lot more that Rambler style that you see around here. So for me, I think houses are always like people. They'd let me know which people I'm with, like they ground me. Um, but I will say in terms of vacation homes, that always sounds like a very a summer house, a very fancy word. Like I don't know anybody in real life who has a summer house, like who has one of those? I wish. But it does remind me that Peter's family for generations have had a little cottage up in northern Michigan in Traverse City, there's a lake called Little Traverse Lake. And ever since he was a child, his parents have gone there for summer vacations. And I remember him telling me, oh, you're, I'm so excited to bring you to the cottage, thinking it would be like, you know, a summer house, a beach home. But it was like a cottage cottage in the smallest sense of the word. <laughs> not fancy, not great plumbing, tons of bugs, you know, not lots of rooms, like one or two rooms, everybody crams in. It's all you care about is that you have access to this lake. I've never really grown up going to the beach, but I do. We've gone to the lakes a lot in Michigan. Um, and so I do remember this generational little rundown summer cottage that everybody takes turns bartering for when they get, you know, we weekend or so or all the family cram in and it's full of all these memories that's what it is it isn't mm-hmm. about the cottage mm-hmm. or the lake it's that we were all there together right and so I can totally see that being a stage for a book because yeah. oh my the stories that come out of those claustrophobic summer vacations exactly and I I think what you've described so from Peter, you thought, you know, maybe you had grander visions of of the house, but in his mind, I'm sure because of the experiences there, the memories, that place had become 
something really special. And so that's that's what we see in this book as well, that on the surface, this looks like this big house, it's called the big house, looks like this grand family home. Um, But the truth is, it was much, it was always too big. It was always too much for the family to maintain. Um, at, At the time of the writing, like it doesn't even have an indoor shower. It needs all kinds of work. And yet what makes it a a really magical place uh, is that it has become a vessel for this family history. So the family, part of the drama of the book is, will what will they do with this house? Will they take care of it? Will they hold on to it? Or will they together let it go? Will they sell it? Will they pass it on to someone else? But at this point, it is no longer just a house, right? It's become, it's become uh, an albatross around their necks yeah. or... <laughs> Yeah, it, it has. I mean, it's become an albatross around their necks, but it's also become almost a stand-in for the generations who've gone before. So the family members they loved, that they have said goodbye to, are now only, they only feel connected to them really with this house or when they go to visit this house. So how can you sell that place? And I, I those are things I like to think about, like what houses can mean to us, but also when is it right to to let something go, to move on, to say goodbye? And I can relate as well. Like, yeah, we don't have a summer house. But in my mind, what I think of is um, visits with my family growing up to my mom's home of origin. She was from Cal- Northern California. And we would go and we would visit um, my aunt and uncle there, her sister and brother-in-law. And to me, everything about their house was California. So um, it was a it was a low sort of modernist ranch. It had not only a pool in the backyard, but it was built around a central courtyard that was open to the air. So every room, and it was a it was a modest little family home. It wasn't grand, but in every room, you could look both sort of outside to the pool or into that central courtyard. So it was like the epitome of indoor-outdoor living, which was just so California, right? Coming from Texas, like there were no bugs there. And that's so South Africa, too. I've, I mean, South African homes and, and California homes, they have this in common. Yes, sort of the movement between yeah. the indoor and outdoor without any break in that flow. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I loved it, too. And so going there, um, and like you said, in my memories, it's just... I can't really distinguish between the family we had there and the place where they lived and the house that sort of held all of our adventures and our our, um, celebrations. And I think this is something else that, you know, visiting family or having a summer house they have in common is that these these are not everyday houses. So a, a summer house, by definition, is not your everyday ordinary dwelling place. And because California was so far from Texas, my aunt and uncle's home was our special only every once in a while summer vacation visiting experience. And so the house wasn't, to me, a place where you lived. It was a place where you visited and every day was a party. So my uncle, Uncle Jimmy, was famous amongst us kids because he would do um, he he would do something we we go and he would do something called a truffle party. <laughs> so I didn't even know what truffles and I, and by truffles I mean the little exquisite chocolate fudgy candies and I would never have known what those were as a kid. 
But Jimmy just took it upon himself that he would um, have these truffle parties. And so he would visit some specialty candy maker and then he would bring home a box, a selection of these truffles. And we would have a truffle party, which just meant you sat around and you had a little knife and you carefully like <laughs> cut them in half or slice off bits of one so you could sample all the, the rich little chocolates. And to me, I mean, again, in my ordinary life of childhood, it was not full of truffle parties, <laughs> right, <laughs> let right. alone pools in the backyard or courtyards with, you know, California plants. And um, and so that house, the truffle parties, the summer swimming um, was for me the epitome of a, of a celebration house, a vacation house, a special house. But yeah, I love this book because we get to dig a little deeper. So on the surface, that's what it looks like. Special house, celebration house. Aren't they lucky to have this house? Oh, they, they must be so wealthy and, and privileged to have this house. And then to, to dig deeper into that story and to uncover, yes, there was this privilege and there was wealth and there was also suffering and there was also, you know, a decline in fortunes and worries about money and, and problems in, in the family. And yet it's not one or the other. I think poets like George Colt do a good job of of writing about it all and not needing it to be one or the other, but to say like it it was all these things. Um, but I appreciate that because by the end of the you start I, I start this book maybe being envious of someone who could have a summer house, and by the end have a much more I think nuanced understanding of what that that could mean, and I think then just gratitude for my own life, which couldn't be you know, at least growing up any farther from like a Boston Brahmin existence, you know. That's so interesting. You're so right. I mean, that is exactly those are the assumptions we make about people with those kinds of homes. And it's a microcosm of how we make assumptions all day long every day about people we see on Instagram. But I have to just circle back to the truffle parties because <laughs> two nights ago, Zoe was out of the blue. Zoe goes, oh, you know what I'm craving? Fudge. And then she goes, we got to go to Michigan. And I'm like, wait, what? They they sell fudge in Maryland. And she's like, really? They do? I thought, I mean, we get fudge in Michigan, though. Oh. <laughs> so, like, it's a thing when we go to Michigan, up to northern Michigan, Traverse City, and all around there. I, I will say they sell like these logs of fudge oh, at these yum. amazing fudge stores, like every flavor you can imagine. And we do that. We would buy like these logs of fudge. And set them out on the countertop with plastic knives. And, you know, everyone cuts off pieces and we eat fudge. It's just like my mouth is actually watering talking about it right now. So I would call it like the fudge house, like that cottage. The I fudge just house. remember. Oh, that's great. And, and we, a fudge. And then we would also make what they called cottage pizzas because we'd be at the cottage and then we would make these pizzas that were really just. I feel like glorified pita bread that we put like sauce and cheese and everything on. And it was like a kit that everybody would make, the kids would make together. And it was cottage pizza because that's what you made at the cottage. And like, we would never eat that at home. It's really bad pizza. <laughs> but for some reason, it's so magical to eat it at the cottage. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so now I feel like we could have a whole conversation about the ways that places and homes get connected with um, with what we eat in them. So that right. makes, yeah, that makes so much sense. And of course, a summer house, you're going to eat things like fudge and you're going to eat saltwater taffy, right? Ooh, and that's another good one we do in Michigan. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, I, I just love that. And so all of that is just, 
is a part, I think, of what I'm saying when a place becomes a vessel for memory and taste and smell are some of the biggest, mm. I think, like triggers for memories. Yeah. You know, how we, yes. um, the, the, like, like nothing else, taste or smell will take you back to a time and a place. And right. so how special for Zoe that, that she has fudge. And so when she <laughs> says, I re- I'm craving fudge, what is she really craving? I know. She wants to go back she to those to places back. where yeah. fudge is a dinner option. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, and, it isn't. And maybe she's craving also the people there and the way it feels right. when you're all together and the way it feels right, so right. celebratory. So my corollary to that is not only the truffle, but would be um, avocados. So now I know we think of avocados, at least I I bet many of our listeners is just ubiquitous, right? We all eat them. We all eat guacamole. We can get them at our grocery store. Um, We know, or I hope we know, to look for the the Haas variety that are so tasty. But um, again, going back to childhood, either avocados were not so available or maybe they were just too expensive and my mother chose not to buy them. I don't actually know which it was. But avocado would be the, the like the first thing we would eat when we would arrive in California because of course they grow there and they're just everywhere there and so um, going to a restaurant and ordering something with avocado in it always <laughs> was like the start of that like that's when I knew You're I'm there. on vacation and I'm in California because I'm eating avocado <laughs> which we don't <laughs> eat in Texas <laughs> of course we do but I didn't it was with that place for sure it is funny how certain foods almost take a mythical quality. When we go home to South Africa, that's one of the first things we plan. Like before I even get Aww. there, they ask us like, what do you want to eat? What do you want to have when you get off the plane? What do you want for that first night? And it's like a whole, in Afrikaans, we would say chedunta, like a big deal about Aww. what you're going to eat when you get to these that's places. That's a great it's word. true. The place, the house, and the food, because we have certain things that we expect Pete's mom is going to make, you know, it's, we're going to have the Texas sheet cake when we're all together as a family like that. That's just going to happen. Yes. So there's a, I'll I'll read just this line from the big house um, because I think it, well, let me read it and then I'll say what I think about it. But um, again, George Colt is, he just writes really beautifully and he writes beautifully whether he's writing about um, his own childhood or the history of the place where this house is, the history um, of his family, or he writes a lot about the nature there, the flora, the fauna. And um, yeah, just a, a, a great poet who writes beautifully, whatever it is. But he says this in the big house. He says, people too are more open in summer, moving through the house and each other's lives as freely as the wind. And I love that because the thing about a summer house is that you go to it in summer. And so you go at this particular season to experience it in a certain way. And a lot of what he describes in the book is how um, certain things could happen in, in in the family or between, you know, within family relationships. They could only have happened at that summer house because, as he says, you, you were shedding the world, you were shedding responsibility, you were moving, you know, through day-to-day in a freer way. And that allowed in good and bad ways, like good things to happen and also maybe some some harder relational things because of how people were relating in the summer house. Um, and then he also says this, so so what so if it's a summer house, what what happens in winter? What does that house mean in winter? So what is your Michigan cottage in winter? So he writes, a summer house in winter 
is a forlorn thing. In its proper season, every door is unlocked, every window wide open. And then he goes on to talk about people in that same way. What about people, our families in the summer, and what about them in the winter? Um, He says people, too, are more open in summer, moving like the wind. Their schools and offices are distant. Their guard is down. Their feet are bare. Their feet are bare. Yeah, so a summer house has open doors and open windows, and the people in it have bare feet. And so what happens next, right? And that's what this book is about. And I don't know, it's got me thinking today, like, why do I want to read something like this right now on this hot day when I'm sticky? And, you know, what, what, why did I choose it? Why is this so appealing to me? And I think it's because um, even though I can't go away to a summer house, or at least, you know, I'm not planning to, I don't, ha- I don't have one in the family, um, I, w- I want to have some experience like that in the summer, even if I have to stay in this place. I guess what I'm saying is in winter, I want to live in my house in a winter way. And in summer, I want to remember to open the windows and open the doors and take off my shoes. But because I'm in the same place, I have to be more, I think, deliberate about it. I have to choose to do that. I have to remind myself to do that. I have to give my children freedom to be their summer selves in this place. And then autumn will come back around. Winter will come back around, and, 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 and it'll be different. We'll, we'll put our shoes back on, right? But, but I don't want to miss out on those summer ways of living. And, of course, it's all metaphor. So, I have to think more deeply about what does it mean to me to live into this season with bare feet. And um, just personally, what it looks like for me, you know, sometimes in little little things, it's it's letting go of some of the control. Have my kids watched too much TV? Have they eaten too much sugar? I mean, I can tell you right now, Lisa Joe, the sugar consumption of my youngest <laughs> is like... <laughs> I <know. laughs> Well, I just feel like it's in her DNA because she loves unicorns so much. And don't unicorns just eat like cotton candy that, as like true. their hay? Yeah. I feel like she can't help it. She can just live off sprinkles. But I do. Sprinkles. I was yeah. there one day where she ate a container of of icing sugar. Like it had been mixed. <laughs> it was like frosting. That's what you call it here. She just sat and ate a whole bowl of it. So in win- So when I get nervous about it right now, I just remind myself, look, Autumn will come. We'll get back in school. I'll be making her lunch again. I will stuff her full of vegetables. But right (laughs) now, I'm just going to say yes. So the other night, we went to um, a local um, creamery where they specialize in like super extravagant ice cream creations. And she asked for the banana split. And the banana Mm. split at this place, like it's just not even an ordinary banana split, but it comes with the fudge and with the caramel and with the whipped cream and with the cherries. And then... You choose three other toppings to put onto it. Oh, so her banana I'm, split. I'm actually picturing going to get one right yeah, now yeah. after we get done. So at Cindy's, <laughs> which is where we go. Thank you, Elsa, for the idea. Yeah, she added sprinkles. She added M&Ms. I mean, it was insanity. And yet it felt good to sort of in that moment. It's like me taking off my shoes or me allowing her to take off her shoes. And instead of stressing about the colossal amount of sugar in that banana split, <laughs> I just said yes. And then we went outside and we sat on a bench and I took her picture and, um, yeah, I hope I'm like sort of feeding that, that well of like summer, some, this is summer mom and these are summer memories, but you know, we'll get back to being our, our regular winter selves before long. I love everything about this. I feel <laughs> hungry. 
I am sad. I can't like Postmate an ice cream banana split and just get it delivered to me because if I want one, I have to get in the car and drive through this horrifying heat. (laughs) But I am inspired now to get one. And I like that idea of open doors, open living, bare feet um, and embracing that. It's a good reminder to me, too, especially at the end of long weeks where you Mm -hmm. feel tired and run down by summer. And so Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I guess on that note, sort of, I am going to say to our listeners who are hanging out with us this summer, if you are loving these conversations, if they feel like a delicious ice cream treat that's giving you more than you bargained for, gosh, we wish you would go leave us a review. Part of what's fun for us is getting to read what you write about the show and especially in the new format. And sometimes if there are reviews that really resonate with us, we like to read them. This one is from Jane, who left it in our Black Barn online community. You can click through the link in our show notes and hang out with us. But she said this, this new format of conversing about your favorite books and their personal meaning for each of you has been wonderfully helpful. A million thanks for the inspiration, book titles, and for taking us to thoughtful and lovely places. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that resonate with your house analogy, Christy? It does. Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I hope we, oh gosh, man, I hope we do that in every conversation. Just take our listeners to to good places. Yeah. Oh. And in order to have other folks find the show, it helps when you leave reviews or you share it on your social media or you just text it to a friend. But in the summer is a great time, I always feel like, to open new doors, to let people in, to mm-hmm. hang out and connect with new folks. And we really always hope to do that on the podcast. So it's been a while since we dropped a, hey, have you left a review recently? It makes us feel happy to read what you say. It feels like the conversation has come full circle. It <laughs> so does. if you haven't done it yet, we sure appreciate it if you did it now. And um, if we could give you ice cream, we would. With a cherry on top. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 